In this seventh chapter, we meet Gum properly for the first time. As we listen to what he says and does here, and throughout the rest of the tale, we ask, Is Gum what Stigsis said to us? First, Stig always says he is the image of his mother. As we see, that is indeed true. But as for his nature, is he the image of her only? No. For here, while like his mother, he can talk with creatures, he is like Stig also. For Stig draws animals and wishes every day he could know what they are saying. Like Stig, Gom is very trusting, but not entirely. Stig is very simple and never learns that people can be bad. Though he is not as simple as he might seem, rather he is so good-natured he lets himself get treated by the people of Prague, not because he is too stupid to see it, but even because he is happy to settle for a quiet life. Is gone? No. Not so. He has a spark of mother in him. He likes to see fair play so much. He defies Stig and rattles his father in doing so. As you are here, Gom has visions that he calls waking dreams that warn Gom of danger or try to tell him something. Does Stig have such? No. They come for his mother, but like his father, Sometimes get gets his signals mulled up completely. Gom is curious and likes exploring places he not in ought not to go. Is Dig like that? Does Dig go walking caves every day? No. That also comes from his mysterious mother. In fact, Gom's true adventure starts when unknown to his father, climbs down a gully looking for a missing friend. A little fat green tree frog named Ledbury. Part 2 Chapter 7 Gom lay under the hot sun, leaning out over the edge of the creek. Directly below him, under the shadow of his head, a round smooth rock poked up out of the water. About it darted amber damselflies, their brisk wings whirring in the humid heat. Water striders walked the glassy surface, and deep down in the muddy depths dark shapes hung motionless, sheltering from the midday glare. All these things Gom saw and heard, yet he listened and watched some more, for there was one sound missing. 
Presently, he sat up and made a peculiar sound in the back of his throat. Not high, not low, but in between. A sound that went something like glug glug. He sat quite still, as though waiting for a reply. But none came. Funny, he muttered. Where can he have got to? Every morning without fail that summer, old Leadbelly had taken his breakfast off that rock. Gom had been right around the creek calling and asking about him, but nobody had seen him, neither bullfrog, nor Leadbelly's fellow tree frogs, nor muskrat, nor even water moccasin. Gom was sure, though that snake would have swallowed Leadbelly in an instant and without a second thought and never tell, given the chance. But nobody, not even water moccasin, could catch old Leadbelly, for that frog was much too old and smart to let himself get caught by anyone. So the question remained where was he? Gom stared down at the bright water, fixing his eyes on the glare without blinking hoping to bring on one of the waking dreams that came to him from time to time, a vision of Leadbelly that would show him where the creature was and what he was doing. But all he got was the promise of a headache. He might have known. Those visions came only of their own sweet will and seldom when he needed them. He bent down and swished water over his head to take away the ache, then raked his fingers through his stiff, unruly thatch, pulling it back from his face, not that it would stay there when it dried. It was not like Leadbelly to be missing. He was such a creature of habit. In a little while the air above the creek would be swarming with mosquitoes and midges, special favorites of his and he always had such an appetite. Maybe, Gom told himself doubtfully, he was off on some private caper that couldn't wait. But whatever the cause of Leadbelly's disappearance, if he didn't show up soon, Gom would have to wait to find it out. For the next day, Gom was to take the weekly trip down into Clack with Stig. That trip he thought of with mixed feelings. He liked to visit with his married sister, Hilsa, in her cottage that used to be Widow Cray's, even if she was too busy nowadays to spend much time with him, what with the new baby and all. And Stock always had a word with him, out by Meister Craw's vegetable patch. And the rest of his brothers and sisters didn't mind him. In fact, they hardly paid him attention at all. So far apart they'd grown over the years. Except for Horvin. Every time Gom went into Clack, Horvin stirred up the town's children against him and made trouble for him, if he could. Gom leaned down to look at his face in the water. Horvin called him ugly. Rat face. Actually, Gom thought rats looked rather fine. He touched his nose where it bent at the bridge. 
Rats didn't have bent noses. Nor did they have moles on the end of their chins as Gom had. Three, to be exact. Was he ugly? He must be, if Horvin said so. But he didn't feel ugly. Folks said he took after his mother, the wife. And nobody ever called her ugly. Leastways, not in his hearing. He'd wanted to ask Stig about it for the longest time, but he dared not, for fear of making him angry again. Once, Stig had overheard Horvin calling Gom ugly, and that was the one and only time Gom had ever seen his father out of countenance. As you are your mother's son, Stig said to Horvin, not raising his voice, but making Gom shiver all the same. Don't let me ever hear you say that again. Gom is the image of the wife, your mother, that reared you faithfully until, as I've always told you, she had to go off on business of her own. She was small. She'd not come above halfway up my chest. And Gom looks fair to being the same. But she weren't ugly, don't you ever think it. When you abuse Gom so, you offer your mother like insult. And children who do that aren't worth a pinch of salt. Of course, this hadn't endeared Gom to his elder brother any the more. Corvin had gone off, his fist to his nose, looking at Gom in a meaningful way that Gom couldn't fail to understand. How that boy can say such things to you, his own brother, is beyond me, Stig said on the way home. It's not natural, not natural at all. I just don't understand it. But Gom did. For another time, on Gom's eighth birthday to be exact, Horvin had said and done something that Gom would never tell of aloud as long as he lived. Not to Stig, or Hilsa, or Stock, or anyone. Gom was going through a back alley on his way to visit Hilsa and Stock for cake and a gift from each, when Horvin, fourteen and almost as big as Stock already, had come up behind him, and seizing the leather thong around Gom's neck, had pulled it tight enough to choke him. Dwarf, he said. Ugly, ugly dwarf. Nobody picked you to live with them. That's why you live with father. Not because he wants you. Because no one else would take you. So there. Gom braced himself. He had heard it all before. And even though Stig had told him differently so many times, it still hurt. Not true, he said, and with that, he kicked out at Horvin to make him let go. Horvin let out a howl of rage, but hung on all the same. Dwarf, dwarf, evil dwarf, he yelled. It's all because of you that our mother left us. That was new. Gom, putting his hand to the small black pendant, tried to pull away. It's not true. You're telling lies. It is so true, 
Harvin put his face close to Gom's and hissed, It is, because I heard, I heard father telling her that if she had one more child, she'd have to go away, and then you were born. You're a curse, you know that? A curse that sent our mother away from us. That's why you're so ugly and small, because you're a curse, a curse. Nobody wanted you, nobody. You're the one that father should have gotten rid of, not her. In a sudden burst of strength, Horvin stripped the thong from around Gom's neck and started up the alley, swinging the pendant around and around like a sling. But he hadn't gone many steps, when suddenly he stumbled and fell, twisting his ankle under him, and the small black stone flew from his hand to land back at Gom's feet. Ow! Horvin cried. There! You see that? You did that! You put a wicked spell on it! Dwarf! Dwarf! Evil dwarf! Just wait till I get my hands on you! Gom snatched up the pendant and went for his life, around the houses to hide in a barn. And as he crouched there, he felt the pendant tingling in his hand. It hadn't frightened him, but rather had comforted him somehow. There he stayed all that day, holding the small black stone, feeling its vibrations, thinking over and over what Horvin had said. Not crying, not moving, just lying there until it was time to go home, while Stig and Hilsa and Stock and a few other willing bodies searched for him from one end of the town to the other. A curse, Horvin had called him, that had made his mother go away. Back home on the mountain, Stig put him to bed, thinking him to be coming down with something, but Gom never said what really had ailed him. He put his hand inside his tunic, drew out the pendant, and turned it over and over in his hands, feeling its smooth warmth. It was sleeping just right now, as he put it, in the times when he couldn't feel anything. He put it to his ear, as always hoping to hear humming or some such sound, but he heard nothing. His mother's rune, Stig called it, her secret charm that she'd left with Gom the day he was born. Because, yes, it was true, he'd learned it from Stig himself and from Hilsa and Stark, that she had gone off and left them all on that very day, just as Horvin had said. Was the rest of what his brother had said true as well? Not according to Stig. With you she left it special, to keep care of like, not with any of the others. Not with me, even. Just between you and me, boy, you understand? You're the child she was really after, much as she loved the rest. This Stig told him every time they talked of the rune. And Gom tried really hard to believe him, in spite of what Horvin had said. And sometimes he did though a question popped out from the back of his head sooner or later to make him doubt again. 
if he was the child his mother had really wanted. Why had she gone off and left him the moment he was born? He stood up and moved away from the edge of the creek, remembering Leadbelly. Two hours to go to what his father called Elevenses, although they always had them nearer noon. Time enough to look for the frog. Passing Gom on her way down to the creek was a large brown turtle. Stooping, Gom wrapped her shell in greeting. Good morning. I don't suppose you've seen Leadbelly today, he asked. Without answering, she ambled on toward the water, oblivious to anything but her own private dreamings. A little way back from the bank, in a sandy hole, lay a clutch of white eggs, barely covered over. The turtle's gone bet, fresh laid and forgotten already, the absent-minded old thing. A snake slid by. On a sudden impulse, Gom squatted over the eggs, hiding them, wafting his warm human scent over the sand that cradled them. Good day, snake, Gom said. You are in a rush. Greetings, the snake hissed. Mustn't stop. Just felt turtles scratching this ways. That means eggs. And I'm so keen for sustenance. That's good. Well, happy hunting, Gom said. So long. So many eggs the snakes have had of turtles these past years. I do like to see fair play, Gom thought, as the snake slithered off. He certainly did. He never told squirrels where their fellows hid nuts or foxes of the fern beds where mallards hatched their broods, of the bramble brakes where pheasants reared their chicks, and of the hollow logs where possums nursed their young, though he knew them all. On he went over the mountain, asking every creature he met if it had seen or heard sign of Leadbelly, but without success. He tried all the familiar places along the stream flowing into the creek, right up to the entrance to the limestone caverns. He even put his head inside and called to Cessary, Wind's drafty cousin, who blew about the passages deep within. But if she heard him, she didn't reply. He was just turning away when he noticed something bright lying beneath a boulder close beside him. Kneeling, he gingerly removed dead grass and dirt, and there, on the ground, was the skeleton of a leaf, a brilliant yellow leaf, its delicate ribs gleaming in the sunlight like a strange metal. Gom slipped his hand under it, eased it up, his eyes wide with wonder. A golden loader leaf, a perfect skeleton. Such a rare, precious find. He took from a back pocket a flat box with neat wooden hinges and a cunning catch that he'd made himself that past winter, laboriously and at times somewhat impatiently, under Stig's watchful eye. There, 
The leaf just fitted inside. Gomri placed the box in his back pocket and went on. And on, and on. The farther he went, the more anxious he grew about the missing frog. So anxious that he didn't notice how far he'd gone from his regular haunts. Before he knew it, he was round the far side of the mountain and out of bounds, and standing beneath a tall dead pine whose bark had been stripped clean off by lightning. Atop the pine, a mockingbird sat scolding him. The instant Gom looked up, the bird shot up vertically a few feet, then dove, wings wide, back onto his perch, threatening Gom the while in Cardinal, Jay, Blackbird, Crow, Robin, Finch, and Starling. Gom observed this multilingual manoeuvre several times more with interest. I can take a hint, he said at last, but I haven't come to steal your backyard. I'm looking for Leadbelly, a small green tree frog. Have you any idea where I might find him? The bird executed another vertical loop before he spoke, this time in his own voice. Down, 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 he called, then hopped about. Gom looked the way the bird was facing. Below the pine was a deep gully, dark and cold and still unlit by the bright morning sun. Down there? But why? Why would Leadbelly go down there? Just then, he heard the faint sound of running water. Gom nodded. Leadbelly, the homebody, had never left the creek until that summer when he befriended Gom, and even now ventured abroad only from the safety of Gom's shoulder. But he'd well grow brave to the point of folly, if driven by hunger, or lured by the promise of a rare and special feast. Down there? You say the frog's down there? he asked the mockingbird. In answer, the bird shot upward and this time flew away. Gom stared over the edge of the gully. He didn't look very inviting. But if Leadbelly could make it, so could he. He began to climb down. <laughs>